Today we're talking about new labeling for foods consumers buy in the store, that they eat in restaurants, and that they grab at the drive-thru. It's part of the fight against obesity, heart disease, and diabetes, something we're all concerned about. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. My guest is Dr. Michael Jacobson, Executive Director of the Center for Science and the Public Interest in Washington, D.C., and a noted food and nutrition activist. Dr. Jacobson is fighting the good fight, trying to get Americans to eat better, partly with real information about exactly what it is they're eating. He's done or been involved in many of the studies letting the public know about how much fat and salt is in Chinese food, Italian food, popcorn, and if you've heard bad news on the radio about or the television about what you've been eating, it might well have come from Michael Jacobson. Nice to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be on. So one of the things that you're looking at, of the many things, is labeling on, on packaged foods, restaurant foods, and so forth. What is the situation now? We have labeling, on obviously, on a lot of grocery items, I guess, but not fast food places. What, what are the targets? What are you looking for? Well, there are two main areas. One is getting better labeling of packaged foods to supplement the nutrition facts panel on almost all packaged foods. The labels we're seeing now on foods are not enough. Is that what you're saying, or they should be changed? Or that's right. They, they, the labels are are extremely valuable. Contain lots of detailed information, and are used by millions and millions of people, especially people with hypertension or hypercholesterolemia who are especially looking at saturated fat or sodium. People on diets, weight loss diets, are obviously looking at calories. But the the nutrition facts labels haven't had the impact on the national diet that we had hoped back in the early 1990s when these labels were first being implemented. How do we know that? Well, our diets haven't changed very much. You know, national dietary surveys show that we're getting fatter, we're consuming more calories, Sodium intake is still at an extremely high level, although perhaps because of nutrition labeling, it's it's leveled off in the past 10 years or so. Clearly, walking through a supermarket, looking at government statistics, looking at the waistlines of people at the beach, it's clear that labeling, the nutrition facts labels haven't been sufficient. And I think for the average person, they're very complicated with 15 or 20 bits of information that people are supposed to integrate and prioritize the different elements. Certainly tough to look at them in a supermarket aisle and try to make a decision in a few seconds before you move on, that's for sure. We have this trend toward increasing obesity and so forth. Did did the labels interrupt that at all? Was there any kind of transient improvement or or really not much effect at all? Well, there's no control group. So right now, something like two-thirds of American adults are overweight or obese. What that figure would have been without the labeling is anybody's guess. Right. My hunch is that it would have been about the same. The labeling, that kind of, the, the, the labeling just isn't that powerful. So what other nations have been doing, some companies in the United States, both packaged food companies and supermarkets, is developing front label symbols to indicate that a food is either good, whether it be in Sweden, for instance, there's a green symbol of an old-fashioned keyhole that signifies a healthy food. Just, and, just like Grandma used to make or something? Is that the well, idea? Well, <laughs> there are different criteria for different categories of foods. But, right. You know, for example, only dairy products that are made with skim or low-fat milk are eligible. Breads and other grains have to be whole grain. 
So that's helping things in Sweden. The British government is encouraging a slightly different approach, where it's not just good foods, but they would like to see all foods bear what looks like a traffic light, where there's four dots, each symbolizing a different nutrient, fat, sugar, salt, and saturated fat. Each of those dots could be red, yellow, or green, indicating that it's it's bad, it's medium, or it's good. I have to say, this almost sounds like a step backwards. I mean, we've, you know, we've got information. I mean, it sounds like a lot of this information is on there. We can look at fats in the food and, and so forth. And now to just, to just have these sort of simple-minded things, is, isn't that, well, isn't that going to give us down, less information? It's sure dumbing <laughs> down. But yeah. truth be told, I suspect that even many health experts have a hard time integrating all the information on a nutrition label because you end up with things like, what if a food is low in sugar but high in cholesterol, medium in sodium, is that good or bad? And compare it to another food that has you know, kind of opposite characteristics. Given those kinds of complicated balancings, are you going to be able to deal with that with a green light or a, or a red light? Yes, yes. And there are different approaches. In Sweden, So they have these criteria for what's a good food. Britain has a formula that more or less gives credit to the good things and deducts credit for the bad things, and the resulting score is a reflection of its overall nutritional quality. There's a supermarket chain in the United States, its headquarters are in Europe, that has also devised a formula for rating foods using about 15 different nutrients, and a food ends up with a certain number of points, and the number of points determines whether it gets three check marks for the best foods, two check marks, one check mark, or no check mark. And so it's a very simple way. So for people who are less educated about nutrition, don't have time, you know, there's two kids yanking at somebody's dress, it's extremely helpful, I think, to have these kinds of simple symbols. So we and others are encouraging Congress and the Food and Drug Administration to investigate this approach, and perhaps starting by having the National Academy of Sciences evaluate the symbols that are currently being used overseas or in the United States, and either recommending one or two of uh, ones they consider the best, or coming up with their own formula for what might be the best. For those of us who've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. And our guest is Dr. Michael Jacobson of the Center for Science and the Public Interest. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. These food symbols, this would have to be something enacted by Congress? Is it something the Agriculture Department would do? What's the, what, what are the mechanics of this? The Food and Drug Administration probably could do it on its own. It probably would like to have Congress tell it to do it if it wanted to move ahead. Now, this Food and Drug Administration uh, in the Bush administration is strapped for funds. Its funding has actually been cut in the Foods Division, so they don't have much resources. And this administration is generally opposed to government regulations. So it's not something that's going to happen quickly, but I think that Congress could move things along by commissioning the National Academy of Sciences to review this approach and come up with some recommendations. Now, this is, a, this is the kind of thing that I'm sure there are some listeners out there right now saying, oh, boy, the, you know, the food police are on us. This is a lot of regulation. I mean, is there a reasonable point there? Uh, how, to, to what extent do we want to be told uh, what we can eat and can't eat? And, you know, where, where does the government's role in this stop? I haven't seen any surveys, but I, I suspect that the vast majority of consumers would love to have 
simple information that would help them choose healthier diets for themselves and for their, their families. I think it's hard to argue against giving people information, like having the mileage, miles per gallon when you buy a car. People should know that. One kind of problem we've been talking about in the supermarkets of, you know, trying to get simpler, clearer messages about what's good to eat and what's not so good. What about fast food restaurants and even, even other, you know, the, the next step up, the sort of casual dining places and so forth? What, well, that's what would you like to see happen area. there? Yeah. When the 1990 nutrition labeling law was passed, restaurants were exempted. Otherwise, the restaurant industry was going to kill the legislation. There's no mandatory nutrition labeling at restaurants. Some of the largest chains have brochures or websites that provide information that's very useful, but not many people use it. People need information at the point of purchase. New York City is the first jurisdiction to require any restaurants to provide information, and it's, it's requiring restaurants that already have nutrition information, already publish it, to list calories on the menus and menu boards at the restaurant. So you'd go into a McDonald's in New York City after July 1st, it will say Big Mac 570 calories 239 or whatever. Now this is in New York? That's right. The Board of Health has issued this regulation due to go into effect July 1st. Whether the restaurant industry will sue to try to prevent it from going into effect is the question that I think people are looking at now. The restaurant industry hates to disclose nutrition information in a prominent way because people will use it sometimes to switch from, say, regular soda to diet soda where the restaurant doesn't really care. But other cases, people will switch from a large order of fries to a small double cheeseburger to a single cheeseburger. At a table service restaurant, maybe people would skip dessert or share an entree if they saw that the entree had 1,200 calories. Playing devil's advocate here, but, you know, if I walk into a fast food restaurant that happens to be my favorite that I will not name on the air, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm going to have a salad that night or something because I know that this is a treat and it's, it's bad for me maybe, or it's, I shouldn't say bad for me, but too many calories. And don't we already know that? Some people said the same thing before nutrition labeling went, went into effect for packaged foods that you think you know it, but you don't. A few years ago, we did a oh, survey yeah? <laughs> of dietitians where we surveyed 200 dietitians. We set out a table with different restaurant meals, like roast beef sandwich, one, one was a glass of milk, some other more complicated meals, and we asked these trained food professionals to estimate the calorie and fat content. And on average, they underestimated both calories and fat by about 40%. Really? Trained, they were trained way people off. did this? Yeah. They had no idea. So you can imagine the average person. You really have no idea. And so just giving people the simple information, and only at chain restaurants, by the way, you know, initially, anyhow, it would be too expensive, too complicated for restaurants that change their menus every day that are just a little family-run luncheonette. There have been bills in Congress and in many state legislatures that would require chains typically of 10 or 20 units or more to provide calorie information on menu boards and calories, saturated plus trans fat, and sodium on printed menus. So we're not talking about full nutrition labeling, just giving people a few facts. People would be free to ignore the information at their peril, but I think it would be extremely useful. You know, we're getting one-third of our foods outside the home. 
two-thirds from supermarkets, one-third from restaurants, cafeterias, and vending machines. And there's no information. So, and that ratio is, get, is tipping more and more towards foods outside the home. So I think people need it, especially in a country where hundreds of thousands of people are dying prematurely from heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, and diet-related cancers. So we have a serious problem, and that's, that's really the driving force, the seriousness of the health problems, the desire to prevent the problems in the first place, and perhaps to help people treat themselves by eating a healthier diet. Look, in the interest of fairness, I'm willing to concede maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you that. You've persuaded me. That, um, and we're just about out of time. That will bring us to a close. We've been talking about food labeling in grocery stores and fast food restaurants with Dr. Michael Jacobson at the Center for Science and the Public Interest in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You've been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.